God, because of his love for the son, raises his son to new life. It proves the acceptance of the father of our sins having been forgiven. Tell people about the son who pursued me. This is Moments of Hope with David Chadwick. On our last few broadcasts, we looked at how the Christmas story actually began in the book of Genesis, and that God's perfect love is revealed in three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So how do Jesus' own words line up with that truth? Here's David with part two of his message called, The Son. Some people say that the Old Testament is radio, where we hear a lot about the Messiah coming and who God is. The New Testament's television. We see God in human flesh. I enjoy movies. There was one recent one that I watched, but with great angst. In fact, Marilyn couldn't watch it because it's such a powerfully painful movie. It's called 12 Years a Slave. We sometimes sing, we did earlier, about the ransom that God paid for us. Because of our sin, we owe God a huge debt we can't pay by our works, no matter how many good works we do. And that's all the other world's religions except Christianity. Do good works. Do karma, and you'll be rewarded. And the Christian faith is the only one that says our debt's too big. It has to be paid for us. In 12 years a slave, a, a Northeast African-American gentleman with a wife and children, a, a very articulate, educated man, was drugged by two men and taken to Louisiana where he, where he was forced into slavery. For 12 years, he lived under the degradation, being demeaned, being whipped, beaten, because he was a slave. Yet he was a free man. For 12 years, he lived in that squalor. And then one of his friends from New England finally came and found him. And he paid the price necessary to set him free and to take him home. Folks, that's the gospel. All of us are slaves to sin. And God so loves us, he came and paid the price for our sin to forgive us and take us home. I love the movie Taken. You seen that? Yeah, Liam Neeson, big hunk of a guy, trained in the CIA, FBI somewhere, but he knew military tactics. His daughter, with whom he had an estranged relationship at the time, was kidnapped and taken into sex slavery. She's drugged, tied to a bed, and Liam Neeson leaves the comfort of his home and pursues his daughter. He moves heaven and earth to find her. And when he has obstacles by these other guys who kidnapped her, even though they're heavily armed, he had his pistol, his AK-47, and in the name of Jesus, he blew them away. And he found his daughter tied to the bed, heavily drugged, clipped her free, put her over his shoulder, and brought her home. And in the last scene of the movie, his daughter and she... His daughter and he are in a close, intimate, personal relationship. She's so thankful that her daddy pursued her and set her free from her captivity and brought her home. Folks, that's the gospel. 
It's the gospel. The Father in heaven left the comforts of heaven and entered this world, and he moved heaven and earth facing the obstacles of the demonic in every way so that in the name of Jesus, he blew them away to set us free from the captivity of our sin to bring us home, and in that, we now have a new love relationship with him, previously estranged, now an intimate communion with him. Man, the, the incarnation. It's what we're really celebrating this time of year. The, the sun left the splendor of heaven to come to earth. Keep, keep this in mind, folks. God's not aloof. The proof is the cradle. And one of the key words in the Christian faith should be pursuit. He pursued you in your sinfulness to bring you home. He pursues you constantly. The question is, will you let yourself be caught? Or will you continue to live in your stiff-arming of God? The key question in the Christian faith, in my opinion, is who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? Do you believe he's just a mere moral philosopher, a good teacher, or do you believe he is God in human flesh, equal, coexistent, in the same essence with the Father in heaven? Well, let me tell you what Jesus said about himself, especially in the Gospel of John. Now, Matthew, Mark, and Luke are called the synoptic Gospels, S-Y-N-O-P-T-I-C, in case you don't know. That basically means they have similarities among themselves, and they do. It almost looks like one had the other in front of them and borrowed some of the same literature. But John is totally different. John was written in the latter part of the Gospel accounts, and it was almost like the Holy Spirit said to John, Love Matthew, Mark, and Luke. They did a great job. They missed something. They missed some of the son's clear claims to who he is. And let's make sure they get included in God's canon, God's Bible. Let's make sure that happens. So John listens to the Spirit and remembers many of the claims of Jesus, especially in the Gospel of John. If you are a doubter today, if you're a spiritual skeptic, read the Gospel of John and all the claims Jesus made to deity. They are astounding. But let me give you just a few here today. In John the fifth chapter, verses 16 and 17 and 19, through 24. Here are four claims from the lips of Jesus. First of all, he says, his work is my father's work. Verses 16 and 17. And this was why the Jews were persecuting Jesus because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, my father is working until now and I am working. Notice he calls God my father, personal, intimate, the Jews were angry with Jesus for healing on the Sabbath. Here was Jesus' answer. Do you think God stops working on the Sabbath? Aren't you glad, folks, that God still works on the Sabbath? That he provides our food and our necessities. He neither slumbers nor sleeps. God still works on the Sabbath. And that was Jesus' statement. As I healed on the Sabbath, my Father still works on the Sabbath because I and my Father are one doing the very same thing. It's a clear claim to deity. Don't miss it. Secondly, he says, my work is my father's work, and I only see what my father does, and I do what my father does, verses 19 through 21. So Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, the son, notice what he calls himself, the son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the father doing, for whatever the father does, that the son does likewise. For the father loves the son and shows him all what he is doing. And greater works than these will he show him so that you may marvel. For as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom he wills. 
Now, in our day, DNA has become very popular. And it's especially important to, A, prove paternity. So if a child wonders if he or she's actually the child of this father, DNA proves it, beyond doubt. DNA is also very helpful in watching television like CSI, right? <laughs> CSI Miami, Los Angeles, wherever. The DNA is usually what's needed to prove who done it, right? Well, DNA didn't exist in Jesus' day. They couldn't use DNA to prove sonship. But there was one thing that always proved sonship, and Jesus knew it, his listeners knew it, and he's referring to it in these verses. What is it? Sonship was proven by the son seeing and doing exactly what his father did, especially vocationally. So if the father was a farmer, the son would see and do what the farmer father did and copy it in every way, thus proving sonship. If his father was a bricklayer or a carpenter or a soldier, same thing. The son would do what he saw the father doing, and that would prove sonship. And Jesus, in these verses I just read to you, clearly says, I only see and do what my father in heaven tells me to do. Now, clearly his listeners understood what he was saying. He was making a clear claim to deity, not based on human DNA, but based on an illustration vocationally that everyone in that day would have understood. Third, Jesus said, I judge all. Verses 22 and 23. The Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Now, real quickly, the Jehovah's Witnesses, God bless them, who knock on our doors regularly, use this verse and some others to say, see, Jesus is inferior to the Father. He's not the Son. They're not co-equal. The Trinity's wrong. But what they fail to understand is this judgeship given to Jesus didn't happen in time and space. It happened in eternity. We're limited by time and space here, folks. But the Father and the Son were in relationship far before this world was ever created. And that giving of judgeship was given to Jesus maybe at the point where Satan rebelled. But it was an eternal granting, an eternal gift from the Father. And the Son readily accepted it. That's why when the Jehovah's Witnesses or the Muslims say, Jesus can't possibly be God, he's praying to the Father, there are limitations in the incarnation that are clearly stated in the scripture. One of those limitations is locality. Jesus existed in a time and place. He couldn't exist omnisciently everywhere. When Jesus prayed to the Father, it was a human dependence that he chose for himself. And so when he says, I don't know when I'm coming back, only the Father in heaven knows when I'm coming back. That's not a statement because he's inferior to the Father. He chose to have human limitations in his incarnation. And that subservience to the Father existed in eternity. A big part of love, guys. A big part of love, guys. A big part of love, guys. Are you listening? Is submission. Is submission. When you really love somebody, you submit to them. And Jesus chose submission to the Father. 
And one of those places was, if you want me to judge the whole world, I'll do so. So Jesus is judge over all the world, and every person who's ever lived will one day appear before the judgment seat of Jesus because the Father has given that to him. Folks, that is a clear claim to deity. And then finally, number four, Jesus alone gives eternal life, verse 24. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. If you believe in Jesus, folks, you have eternal life. He grants it to you as a gift from the cross and his resurrection. Wow. So he dies on the cross, and he's placed in a tomb given to him by Joseph of Arimathea. He's lying dead on a slab And the father looks at his son who's taken all the sins of the world upon him, which produces death. The wages of sin is death. But his father still loves his son. And every Disney movie practically understands this principle I'm about to give you. If you have all power and your perfect love, and the one you love the most has just died, what will you do? What will you do, folks? You will use your power to raise that person from the dead. You can't keep a good God down. God, because of his love for the son, raises his son to new life. It proves the acceptance of the father of our sins having been forgiven. It also proves that love is the strongest force in the world. It can overcome your marriage difficulties right now. It can overcome your relational angst right now. It can overcome anything and everything. Love is the strongest force in the world. It raises people from the dead. And then Jesus ascends to heaven where he sits at the right hand of the Father. And here's what I believe with all my heart. When Jesus ascended into heaven, first of all, Colossians 2 said he made a mockery of the evil one and all of his power. There was a parade in heaven that mocked the evil one. (laughs) I can't wait to get to heaven and check out that video to see it. And then he was made king of kings and lord of lords. And in the anointing of the high priest in the Old Testament, oil was placed on his head. I think the oil, which is always symbolic of the Holy Spirit, was placed on Jesus' head and flowed down from his eternal body and came down to his church at Pentecost in Acts 2. So some of you right now are saying, well, so what? Great message, David. Understand the Trinity better. So what? I'm glad you ask. So what? First of all, if it's true and Christ lives in you and you've invited him into your life, you should have his presence. Christmas is not about P-R-E-S-E-N-T-S. Christmas is about God being called Emmanuel and Jesus, about his presence in our lives. That means if Jesus lives within you, that means the second person of the Godhead is facing every single one of your problems with you. Isn't that good news? Secondly, you have his prayers. Romans eight thirty four. who is to condemn, Paul wrote, Christ Jesus is the one who died, more than that who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is, read the rest of it, please, who is interceding for us. How many of you have ever prayed a prayer and asked, God, I don't know what you're doing? I have. And what I'm reminded when that happens is Jesus is praying for me. I may not understand what the Father is doing, I may be asking why, but God wants me to ask who. Who is the one interceding for me? Who cares for me? It's the Christ in me, the hope of glory. Thirdly, there's peace. We're going to look next week at a biblical doctrine called the doctrine of theosis, T-H-E-O-S-I-S. My job is to make you guys mature believers in Jesus 
And the church has always taught theosis. And it's basically this. When Jesus comes upon you, he gives you his peace, and he starts molding you into his image. And his peace isn't the absence of conflict. It's the ability to face anything knowing that he, again, is with you. There's his peace as the prince of peace. There's providence. That means God's in control of everything. The most often spoken word in heaven is going to be, oh, oh, as you realize that God was working all things together for good in your life. And he shows you how in his providence, in his perfect oversight. Oh. There's the poor. We Christians are called to care for the poor. It's just not an option. Why? Because God left the riches of heaven and entered poverty here on this earth. We're called to care. How are you caring for the poor during Christmas? And finally, there's proclamation. When I did this study this week, a new evangelistic zeal was awakened in my life. I want to tell people about the Son who pursued me and made me alive and new. Who are you inviting to Christmas Eve? Whom are you reaching out to to share this wonderful news of the Son? Who left the splendor of heaven to enter the squalor of this earth as a baby, in a cradle as the child grew up in perfect manhood and took the sins of the world upon himself, was then raised from the dead, ascended into heaven, now sits at the right hand of the Father, soon to come to judge the living and the dead, our great King, whom we worship today and ever and ever for the glory of the triune God, one God in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You're listening to Moments of Hope with David Chadwick. Thanks for listening. Coming up, David joins me in the studio with a discussion about the purpose of Christmas. We'll be right back. This is the Ministry Minute, focusing on ministries that have a positive impact on our community. I'm Mark McManus, and here is Jim Noble with the Dream Center Charlotte. Hello, my name is Jim Noble with the Charlotte Mecklenburg Dream Center. And Bo and I, the director of the Dream Center, just wanted to take a minute and tell you guys thank you. Moments of Hope, David and Marilyn Chadwick, all of you there, Dean, we all been phenomenal for us. Uh, you, you've been there since 08 when we started King's Kitchen, and that kind of grew into the Dream Center. And the meals we've fed the last eight weeks, probably exceeding 55,000 now, I guess. Uh, we're so grateful you guys have made such an impact in the city. I'm reaching out to those that have needs greater than we have. And uh, what do you think, Doug? Yeah, so it's been amazing to, to just watch the, the work that's happened um, with the meals as they've gone out. You know, uh, we, I always tell people it's not about the food, it's about the relationships that are formed and the ministry that takes place. And so, um, and JT Williams and Thomasboro and Reed Park, I mean, it has opened up doors that we never thought would be open. Um, you know, we've seen people come out um, and just welcomed us with open arms, just so grateful for the meals and, and we just thank you moments of hope and just this couldn't be this wouldn't be possible without you guys and you know uh the, the first call we made uh when we decided to go this route and provide these meals was the moments of hope and it was uh, a phone call that was met with a resounding yes and so we're so appreciative of you guys and just um everything you all do for us and for the kingdom 
And not only that, but you uh, also sewed into our kitchen in the Dream Center now. This week started producing meals there, and as the restaurants open back up, all the meals will shift to the Dream Center with the kitchen you helped us do. So we're so grateful for you guys. God bless you. God bless Moments of Hope, and we just pray an unlimited return harvest on the seed you sowed into this ministry. Thank you very much. I'm Jen Houston. Thanks for listening today. Joining me in the studio is our pastor, David Chadwick. David, thanks so much for being with us today. It's great being with you too, Jen. Well, in this morning's Moment of Hope, you wrote about the purpose of Christmas. And would you tell us about this? I I will. We're trying to take a word every day during this Christmas time period and emphasize it. Uh, The word today is purpose, and it's not a word normally associated with Christmas, but I think it should be. You know, when God sent his son into the world, there was a purpose in that baby in the manger. And Jesus later tells us what that purpose is in Luke 19.10. He says, for the son of man came to seek and save that which was lost. Jesus' name means Savior. He came into this world to seek us in our pursuit, running away from him, us finally giving up, letting him catch up, and then him bringing us into a relationship with him so that we're no longer lost but found. We're no longer heading toward destruction eternally. We're headed toward God and our eternal home in heaven. So this whole idea of purpose being even in a baby is very biblical. Uh, For example, in Jeremiah 1.5, he says that in his mother's womb, there was the purpose for him to be a prophet of God, to proclaim God's truth to the Israelite people. Paul in Galatians 2.15 says that in his mother's womb, there was the purpose of God upon his life to proclaim the gospel to the Gentiles. And Jen, I just think that's a fabulous insight. You have kids, I have Mm -hmm. kids, I have grandkids now. And each one of them, while even in the womb, God had a purpose for their lives. Now, again, we see that with Jeremiah, Paul, and Jesus himself. But I'd like for everybody today to pause for a second and say, during this Christmas time period, let me begin again to realize I'm not created as an automaton. I'm not in a condition of being a fiat of God's whims and fancies. God has a plan for my life, and he created me with a purpose, and we are never more celebrating Christmas than when we say, I want to live for that purpose. And folks, just one hint, it probably has to do with serving other people, like Jeremiah preaching to the Israelites, like Paul preaching to the Gentiles, like Jesus coming from the splendor of heaven to the squalor of this earth to die on a cross to forgive us of our sins. Your purpose probably has something to do with serving other people. Why not make that your major manifestation of celebrating Christmas this year? I think this is so beautiful. And what an exhortation for us during this time when we can kind of get fixated on our own plans, our own world and gifts and all the money and things that swirl. But this is beautiful. And I love how you say to serve other people, to look where the underserved are. Maybe even it's a neighbor, Yeah. especially in this season with COVID. And we're kind of waning through that the pandemic here, but I I just really like your perspective here. Well, find a hurt and heal it. 
find a need and fill it. When we do that, we're walking in the footsteps of Jesus. The church is then the body of Christ, the hands and feet, the eyes and mouth of Jesus himself. And when we do that, we are loving as Jesus loved. You know, the most famous verse maybe in the Bible that many people have is Jeremiah 29, 11, for I know the plans I have for you, my plans for a future and a hope. That was said to the Israelites in the captivity. It's a good word for us as well in our darkness. Why not go give somebody else light and celebrate the true purpose of Christmas? Wow, that's so good. Thank you so much, David. And thank you listeners for joining us. And may you find someone to go serve and find again the true purpose of Christmas this year and forever. This has been Moments of Hope with David Chadwick, Senior Pastor of Moments of Hope Church. We would love to have you join us for worship this Sunday morning. We meet at Providence Day School, located at 5800 Sardis Road in South Charlotte at 10 a.m. You can find more information on our website, momentsofhopechurch.org. Again, come join us Sunday morning at 10 a.m. at Providence Day School, located at 5800 Sardis Road in South Charlotte. Our web address is momentsofhopechurch.org. For David and the entire Moments of Hope Church staff, this is Jen Houston, hoping you have a great weekend.